Welcome to the FE Insights podcast, a series of podcasts to bring professionals working in the field up to speed with the latest developments presented by Safraz Ali, Chief Executive of the National Training Provider, The Pathway Group. So welcome to FE Podcast. This podcast, we're calling it FE Podcast. It is for the people who live and breathe the further education sector. We're talking about work-based learning. We're talking about uh, adult skills and obviously apprenticeships and and many, many more things there as well. We're in Staffordshire, actually Stoke-on-Trent, in the heart of UK, which I believe is Stoke-on-Trent. And I've not been here for a, for a little while and it was lovely to drive up the M6 and lovely to be here. And we're at the fantastic offices of Acacia Training and we've got none other than the Chief Executive, Victoria Sylvester, Vicky Sylvester. Thank you for inviting us today and really appreciate you uh, giving us a warm welcome and a tour of these lovely, lovely offices is the first thing I'll say. In terms of uh, my first question to you, um, it's the tough sector, you know, we lower no one love. And there's been many providers who have changed and no doubt. And, you know, what does it take as an independent training provider? You're the CEO of a case of training mm-hmm. and you've had a lot of successes this particular year. Uh, what does it take for an independent pr- provider to not only survive, but potentially thrive in this climate? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, it's great to see you, Sam. Thank you. Been a long time since you've been in uh, yes. sunny Stoke-on-Trent, Thank and you. you are. You're right. We are yeah. the heart. Yeah. yeah we are. <laughs> um, so my uh, my advice always is, is how to thrive yes. is by starting with your sense of purpose as a business. What is it you are trying to achieve for people, communities, business, um, the UK, um, even now I'd say globally. Now yeah. after last year, I think we've learned a lot about how we're part of a global community. Yeah. I think when you start with that, you are doing the right things. You're doing the right things by people. You can't go wrong if you're doing the right things by Mm. people. Your team engage with that. Um, So you start to recruit good people into your business. So that's first point. I think second is you have to be flexible and Mm. adaptable and responsive. Mm. I think it's one of the key strengths the independent training provider sector has. Mm. Uh, We can move and we can move quite quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you have to be compliant, you know. There is a boring bit called compliance, but um, we do have to do that. And uh, it's not an easy sector to work in. It, it is challenging. My my thoughts on it, though, is that the compliance should never drive the behavior. Mm. That's where I've seen people not thrive or get stuck. Mm. Um, have, we've been there ourselves some, at some points over the years. But when you allow the compliance to drive the behavior mm. rather than the sense of purpose, mm. Um, you will find it more difficult actually than going from what you actually set out to do and letting the compliance just naturally form part of that sense of purpose journey. So that would be my advice to anybody wanting to thrive in this sector. Fantastic. Really appreciate that. And obviously we'll unpack some of those things uh, a little bit later on. But in terms of this particular year, 2021, Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a challenging year for many. You know, this has been, uh, you know, as I said, your year. You know, not only have you set up this Staffordshire provider network, which mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit about. I'll get you to tell us a little bit about that. But you've you've been part of multiple business holdings and, and that that's really taken off. And that was a, a slightly unknown so in some aspects of it, what that would be, particularly mm-hmm. for people who are who are not traditionally aware of these sort of things. So you've you know that's been the case. We've had successes with the added education budget. You know, you've won some awards as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you've changed this, some of the staffing team, you've grown as a team. 
And, you know, you've had this lovely refurbishment project, which uh, you've been working on. Tell us a little bit about some of those things, if you can, in terms of how they fitted in this particular year and how you're feeling about some of those wins and successes and some of the things that we probably don't know don't know about as well. Yeah, I mean, if we go back to um, last year when COVID yeah. first started becoming a reality, I think we decided very, very early on that we were not going to focus on what we can't control. Yeah. So we didn't sink into a massive bag of worry, yeah. actually, yeah. Uh, which sounds a bit strange, but we just thought, well, these things here we can't control, so no point wasting energy on them. Yes. What are the things we can control, can control. Um, and what are the opportunities? And, and really, what are our learners and employers going to need? And that really then generated the next steps and the next stages and what we wanted to do. So we kept quite a positive culture, if you like. Mm. During difficult times, you know, we're not acknowledging the fact of how difficult it was. But I think by doing that, at least we didn't um, sink into a depression. We kind of kept focused. And we agreed very early on that we were going to continue on our plan. Mm. Uh, We had got a strategic plan. We had got a business plan. And uh, we decided we're going to carry on. Um, and and carry on with what we set out to achieve, and actually by doing that, achieve more by the end of it. Okay. Um, the awards were really special. Uh, we did get the apprenticeship provider of the year, and massive achievement. Congratulations for that. Thank I, you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I sent you a message as well because <laughs> your your just face just showed it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I did. I did cry. <laughs> um, just your reaction was just wonderful. Do you know what? Yeah. I never really considered much about awards early on in Acacia's journey, but I actually realised how important they were to people. And I actually realised particularly that one, how important it was to myself because, yeah. you know, those learners had and those yeah. apprentices had, had done mm. so much for the care sector. It was deserved and it was deserved by the team. So yeah, that was kind of a special one. The shock was because genuinely, and I know everybody says this all the time, genuinely didn't think we'd win. You know, we were in there with three colleges and we were the independent training provider. So we were really, really proud of that and um, proud for the for the sector, actually, both for the independent training sector, but also for the care sector. So it was yeah. a really nice one. In terms of the contracts, what they've allowed us to do, going back to that, what do we want our learners to have? What do we want our employers to have and all the rest of that? It gave us more accessibility to education for people. You know, our mission statement is, and people go on about mission statements, but, you know, cutting through the fluff, we want to get people in work. We want to create opportunities. We want to progress people. And that funding and those different streams have allowed us now to widen our offer. Mm. We had a very, what I would have said, middle offer of two to five Mm. where... Um, we could cover really well. Mm. And this funding's now taken us into the more hard to reach unemployed. And that's great because our industries that we serve need people more mm. than ever. Mm. Um, they've got increasing skill shortages, um, staffing shortages, and that's only going to get bigger. Mm. So all those different pots of funding have really allowed us to do that. And, you know, there's a lot of things out there. I mean, our job is to piece that jigsaw together of what works for Mm. people. Mm. And I always say, you know, we're almost like the, we're almost like navigators, Yeah, you know, we're like navigators and there's a lot of different ways we can achieve the goals and finding the best way to get there. And, 
you know, it's not always about funding, actually, as well. The commercial offer and the commercial side is actually just as important. It's, it's definitely complicated for employers out there, particularly when they're just doing their work and their job and they're having to navigate the funding stream mm-hmm. and what's, what's accessible and so forth. And it's not always easy. Uh, no. Yes, they can go and search on gov.uk and, and it's not straightforward to try and understand what that is and how to sort of uh, make the best use of the opportunities that are there. And if yeah. you can go to an organisation... And in some cases, you're going to providers where they say, well, actually, we can do only this bit. You know, we can't really help you with anything else. Or, you know, we can only talk to you about that. And if, if you can offer a little bit of a one-stop type offering, take the learner, take the uh, to, to employee from start of the journey right all the way through. Yeah. Not getting them a job, then getting them, you know, a better job within the organization and potentially, you know, mapping out their career. Yeah, and, and I think to your point there, one of the things in our plan, which we've done really successfully, I'm a strong believer in collaboration. Mm. I actually recognize that we can't do everything mm. for everybody. Mm-hmm. Our job is to make sure that we're giving the right journey for the employer and the right journey for the learner. Mm. And there is space for everybody. So I tend to have a slightly different approach where, for example, if you think about the kickstart scheme, we saw mm. the kickstart scheme as a great opportunity didn't see it as a threat to apprenticeships. Our view was that these young people were not engaged Mm. on an apprenticeship and probably weren't in scope to. Mm. So actually the kickstart scheme was an opportunity opportunity. for them to go on to apprenticeship. So we viewed it quite differently. But that would mean by committing to that program, we're probably going to go into other sectors Mm. where we don't have the pathway for Mm. the learner beyond kickstart or the long-term journey. So that's why we work collaboratively with a number of providers and we'd identified. So for example, if we've got a, an accountancy firm that wanted a kickstart um, individual and we placed them and supported them as a gateway, we knew which providers in our network were going to signpost them to for the next phase of the journey. And we've got those relationships. Fantastic. Um, and I think that's how the sector should operate personally. Yeah. I think more collaboration um, at the end of the day, we're creating opportunities for yeah. each other. Yeah. comes back round. They'll have a, a program where maybe they haven't got the right outcomes and we're the right provider for them. And I think that's really, really, and that's back to that sense of purpose bit I was talking about where it's about focusing on the individuals um, and recognizing what your strengths are and yeah. what you're not so good at and then building your networks around you. And part of being an MBH, um, so MBH is a, it wasn't a listed entity at the time. We went through the listing process, but it's a group of SMEs, all different industries, not just education. But one of the great learnings from being in there as a business owner, you realize you are the only one that thinks like you in your business. Yeah. Um, everyone else, you're setting out a vision and a mission and a plan. Everyone else is trying to deliver on that plan. So you are the only one looking at it through that lens or a small yeah. number of you. When I went to be part of that group and being around other business owners, like-minded people, all very entrepreneurial, actually, it gives you a bit of motivation. Um, oh, there are people like me, <laughs> you know, it isn't so lonely. Um, and we, during last year, I can't tell you that group of business owners in there, we were in different sectors, we were in different countries, but my goodness, we came together. together yeah. We jumped on a call every week, whether it was support, advice, signposting, this is coming. Have you thought about this? We're seeing this in our industry. What are you seeing in your industry? And really pulled us together 
And it was one of the gifts out of last year, actually, that we've now been on that journey together. And I think it's made us more solid. You know, all 26 businesses got through and are getting through and are now on different journeys to thrive, you know, off the back of this. And I really do think a big part of that was that team solidarity of being there for one another. It would have been interesting to know as an independent business owner on your own, what the experience would have been for those that haven't got that network. So it, it was really, really great experience for us. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Vicky, but it's, it's a, you know, this is a agglomeration that we, you yep, know, that, that's that right. this is a model. So the company is called MBH, which stands for Multiple Business Holdings, yep. PLC. Mm-hmm. So you're a director now of a, of a public company. Yep. And you, you sort of, you head the vertical for the health and social care training providers. Is that uh, Well, right yeah, sort of. I mean, um, I wasn't originally on the board when we joined. Yeah. Uh, we joined as one of the first companies. Um, but my role on the board is to represent all the companies from all the different sectors okay. in the group at board level. Um, because the business owners stay, they run their businesses as they always run them. They make their own decisions. So actually, they're the major shareholders in the PLC. So they actually should be driving the direction and the decisions. And that's my job is to be that bridge between the board and the company owners. Um, And I also take on sort of the environmental social governance piece um, and make sure as a group, what our strategy is, what our plans is, how we're going to do this in a very, very diverse environment. So it's very interesting to do. Um, So yeah, so that's what that is. But that was all about making small business accessible to investors so rather than investors, you know, giving 20 grand or whatever to their mate down the road to go and set up a business that they never see that money again, or it might be 20 years late, because let's be honest, we never go on timeframes really yeah, in small yeah, yeah. business. Yeah. The idea was this, because small business makes up such a big part the of the economy, um, it gave investors a more safer way because we're so diversified to be able to invest in small business and see a return on that. Um, But for the business owner, it allows you to work collaboratively and grow and be in a more healthy environment to work in. So there's a wonderful, I I think, wonderful model. And I'm so glad we did it. Um, Even though at the time people were saying, be careful and this is so new. And honestly, it's been the best thing we did. And um, I'm not just saying that because I'm on the board or I actually really believe in the concept. It's a lot aligned to what we are. It's a lot about business justice in a way you know but it is about social justice all those people are creating jobs all those people are contributing to the economy so um it is a really really good thing so you you said you lead on the esg element of it and i know you do a lot of work on corporate social responsibility you Mm -hmm. talked about purpose and you know good and and doing the right thing and so forth talk a little bit about in terms of you know, where, where that is and what you're driving and what your beliefs are in. Yeah, I mean, um, environmental and social and governance, you know, it is a journey, actually. It's one of those subjects that can feel very overwhelming because there's just so much information. Quality and diversity comes into that as well. And that's a whole piece, you know, an inclusion. Mm. That's a whole piece on its own. So it's been a journey. You're forever learning. There's always new things. But my point of view is that we are part of a global community. COVID Mm. taught us that faster than anything ever has. Um, We do know our planet is changing. Mm. That does create injustice in the world. And we are educators and education is the answer. So we should be embedding this into our education system 
for those that have got children, you're probably finding your children are taking more notes of this because of Greta, yeah. you know, and, and raising awareness. You know, my children, you know, I've got three daughters. They recognize what gender equality is and they're young. They're like 12, 13, 15. Yeah. It's already important to them and how we look after the environment and what that future looks like and what we're doing. And I think we should be embedding that in but not being overwhelmed with it, picking a few things, you know, start with moving your energy to a, an energy efficient energy supplier. Yeah. It's a massive impact on carbon, you know, it's not a big task. Yes, it's a bit of an inconvenience getting it moved, but once it's moved, you've done it. So there's some really simple things. So from my perspective, from a group, I don't want to get to, because they do constant acquisitions, a hundred companies and then go, oh, now we best no, look at this, be. you know. I want to be getting this embedded in our culture right from day one um, and companies on board with it. And, and the same as we're doing here, here at Acacia, we have environmental social champions, for example, in the business. Your team have amazing ideas and it really matters to them. And we can only do it with a, with a global effort at the end of the day. But education is the key. And I think we're missing an opportunity by not embedding that into the, to what we're delivering. Um, and teaching businesses, you know, there's benefits for business. They, they can save money, but I think there's going to be more focus from insurance companies, you know, all that kind of thing, um, where they'll be putting premiums up if you haven't got yeah. certain things in place. And going back to my point right at the beginning is, mm. we don't want to be driven by legislation on this. We want to be driven by the sense of purpose. Yeah. That holds more value and it holds more weight mm. than being told to do it and then yeah. doing it, you know? so. These are the things really I focus on for the Fantastic. group. I mean, we're, we're sort of coming, I mean, we've just had COP26 and uh, and obviously everybody's been talking about climate change mm-hmm. and so forth. And the uh, so all eyes on, on the UK and, and UK wants to be leading and, and individuals think it's a government thing. It's not necessarily an individual thing. And so your message really is, as a, even as an SME, as a micro business, we can all make a difference and all do our bit. And, and really, 100%. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to get political, but let's be honest, waiting for the government might be slower. We could Mm. be doing stuff now. Um, And if you don't watch anything else from COP26, I would definitely recommend watching Richard Attenborough's um, seven minute speech on YouTube because he he says it all in seven minutes. He says it all in seven minutes. And I really, really think we haven't got time to sit and wait and there's absolutely no need to. Um, There's really simple stuff we could be doing and getting getting this in and not being driven by legislation. Okay. I mean, you talked a lot about collaboration, just changing subject a little bit. You talked about a lot about collaboration, partnership, and, and so forth. I mean, you set up uh, the Staffordshire Provider Network. And, you know, we've touched on a little bit on it, but I mm-hmm. want to delve a little bit deeper in terms of what that is. I mean, you're obviously a founding director of, of that entity. And, and how does that work? Well, it's, it's actually has existed for many oh, years. It? Yeah, okay. it existed as SPA, which is the, was the Staffordshire Providers Association. And then it, that, that was just independent training providers. And then it actually merged with colleges and universities and other stakeholders, uh, careers, enterprise, and so on, local authorities, and became SPES, which is Staffordshire Partnership for Employability and Skills. So it is a local partnership, and we are quite unique in that we do have all those different stakeholders. It's not just independent training providers. And we are trying to look locally at the offer, locally at the challenges and how we can do that. Because actually Staffordshire is quite a diverse and quite a big county 
Um, and then we've obviously, we've got a city in there with, with Stoke-on-Trent. So it is a lot about collaborative working, but also addressing the challenges locally and, and the skills gaps and so on. We became a limited company, which I think is probably what you're referring, referring to. to yeah. yeah. So I, I got asked to be um, vice chair a few years ago. We recently became a limited company, um, which is great for us because we've now become of a size. I think we've got nearly 50 members now in that group, which is quite a sizable provider mm-hmm. network, actually, basically to allow us to do more, be able to do more for the members. Right. We were a, an informal partnership on a, in a lot of ways, whereas that's now made us more established as an organization so we could go for bids for example under the spares we couldn't before we'd have to try and find a prime mm-hmm. provider in the group and so on so it's given us more avenues to do and to be honest I think makes us um, a more credible organization for us to be able to do more locally so um, yeah it's a great network actually there are really really good bunch of uh, companies in there. You're listening to the FE Insights podcast with Safras Ali from the Pathway Group, looking at current trends in further education. I want to talk on a slightly personal growth level, uh, mm-hmm. Vicky, if I may. I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of changes. You know, you've had, you know, your your people that you've you've leaned on, and people have leaned on yourself, and you've been a support mechanism for yourself for many. Tell us a little bit about you know how things have changed in your mind at this morning in time in terms of coming to the towards the end of 2021 you know what 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 does that look like in terms of that self-analysis self-awareness yeah I mean you know I've been here now for nearly 22 years and uh when I look back um that cheeky little 20 year old that came into the industry thinking I knew it all and nothing phased me you know and then you go through a, a big phase of learning off the back of that, how to be a good manager. What does a good manager look like? What does a good leader look like to actually really get in in depth? It is a journey and it's not something you can rush. It will happen um, as you make your way through that. But one thing I've learned over the past few years is that um, to enjoy my job and enjoy my work, I have to be driven by what I set out to achieve. That's made it way more fulfilling and having a really strong people focus has made me a far better leader. I don't mind, you know, sharing and coaching. I don't, I don't have a possessive nature of, look, we've done this and we're not going to tell anybody else because I kind of think about the bigger picture and last year, you know, embedded myself right in with the team. I mean, you've seen the office layout now, you know, I don't have an office. We're one family, one unit. And I think I really learned that that kind of culture and behavior and being that kind of leader actually gets you better outcomes. (laughs) You think it won't, but you know, I have providers ring me up and say, oh, have you got a policy you could share with me on this? Or what are you doing about that? And I will share because at the end of the day, it's about the best outcomes for people. I'm a member of the community and so are so many other people. And I think the more we can do with that, those more kind of behaviors as leaders, in this sector in particular, because at the end of the day, we are about social justice. You know what I mean? We are about value. We are about communities. I think that really sets us aside the good providers from the not so good providers or the ones that are going to thrive and the ones that are not. I think they have to be driven by the right reasons. So yeah, I've definitely grown up, Saf, over the <laughs> over the years. You know, sometimes you give yourself a hard time, don't you? You look back and you think, yeah. oh, it's a little bit embarrassing how I used to behave, you know. Um, but the truth is that's just my learning you know I always say I'm a 
an apprenticeship and leadership. <laughs> um, it is that journey. You, you know, you do learn, you do meet new people, you do develop. Um, I've had some wonderful mentors and coaches. I've been very fortunate. I've also had some terrible advice over the years as well that you've, you've thought I've got to do that. Um, so for example, we'll all have gone through it. Leaders behave in a certain way. You know, you have yeah. to be, oh, you have to be all about the numbers. You have to be all about the sale. This is how leaders lead, you know? And <laughs> I was like, oh, kind of feels right out of my comfort zone. I was yeah. way happier when I was just trying to fix a problem in the care sector. Yeah. And you go through that journey and go, oh yeah, I'm not happy with this, mm. you know? And I feel I'm in, now I'm in my forties, just a really good place with it. I know who I am. I know what I want. I know what I, what I want for others. So just in a way, way better place. I've kind of got my own style now and I'm happy with it. I'm not afraid of it anymore. I don't feel the need to be something somebody else expects me to be. Yeah. Um, I've learned that actually just being me is the way better thing to be. <laughs> but yeah. it takes a while to accept that. I know that sounds really silly and it sounds like it's a really simple thing. Just be yourself. It's actually really, really hard. And being able to say, I don't know the answer to that question but I'll go and find out, you know, rather than feeling you have to know it all. So um, lots and lots of learnings, but um, I actually found last year showed me the strength of a family culture. Mm. When, when the chips are down and things are hard, uh, we stuck together like a family and we looked after one another. Yeah, I think that's credit to not just myself as a leader, but all the people in the business and how we, we worked through last year. Yeah, and a lot of it is about being open-minded as well. I mean, if you're doing the right thing, you know, being open-minded and looking mm -hmm. outwards, we sometimes do give ourselves a much harder time than we need to really. We um, do. We're, yeah. we're, we are our own worst enemy yeah, we're as really leaders. We're tough on ourselves and, 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 and we see things from a different perspective where Somebody else will then say, you know, you're, they're, they're doing a pep talk to you to say, come on, it's, <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not, we can yeah. do this. And because sometimes we can go into that element where we're tougher on ourselves and, and you know, we change our perspectives. And, you know, you are a very down to earth and, and uh, humble person, Vicky. You know, obviously we've known each other uh, a, a while and, and our journey has changed. I mean, we've had different levels of relationship and we started our journey as a subcontractor to Acacia back did. in the day. When you were sort of uh, on the on the sort of IQA side and yeah. things and so forth, so and, and I've seen that growth and and you know you've been part of a big part of our uh, growing up and, and and our journey and that I will always you know even if you, you don't say it I will always remind yourself the fact <laughs> that you know you're part of our incubation you're part of our journey and uh, this is one of the reasons why I cried myself when, uh, <laughs> when you when you won the apprentice uh, training provider of the year and it means personally quite a lot to me. Oh, uh, so Thank really, you. really appreciate that. Getting back to so some of your sort of thought leadership element of particularly with regard to uh, recruitment and mm -hmm. retention and, and upskilling ourselves. I mean, we're a training provider. And we we upskill and reskill others, but in terms of our own staff development and firstly recruiting the right people and putting yeah. them on the right seats and and then developing them. How does that sort of sit in with you and what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think recruitment and retention is a challenge for everybody. Um, I don't even think it's just industry specific to us. And yeah. I actually don't think it's been caused purely by COVID. I think yeah. that's been a an element. Yeah. But I think there were numerous elements leading up to that. But I think more than ever, having a culture where you are flexible. I think people expect more flexible working now, more work-life balance, more help with well-being and mental health and physical health and 
for us, even financial health, you know, our team have a financial coach now off, off the back of last year to help them with achieve personal financial goals because they come to work carrying all that worry yeah. if they have got debt or they have got problems or they don't know where to go. So I think you definitely need to be more than an employer. And in terms of attracting people into your business, I think actually trying to externalize your culture is quite difficult. You might think you've got a really, really good culture, but trying to get that across to other people can be very difficult. It's once they're in, maybe they start to realize it. But I think, you know, your team are your best ambassadors for you as a business. And if your team are proud to support you publicly, you know, you will attract people in. At the end of the day, you know, they're not going to believe the CEO. Oh, look at us. What a wonderful company to come work for. It's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) You know, of course the CEO is going to say that. But I think when your team do that and your team are proud to work for you, that's when you will recruit good people into your business. So all those things are absolutely critical. And I know we've talked before, there is not a day where I am not thinking about the people in this business and the future people coming into this business. Not a day. They are the heart of it at the end of the day. And you have to work very, very hard and be visible as a leader with your team, um, which can sound challenging, but technology is wonderful. You know, we jump on a call every Monday afternoon at 4.30, all the team jump on and I just tell them what the business is doing, what we've been working on last week, what our plans is coming over the next few months, every single week. You know, that visibility and transparency and feeling involved in the business, um, I think really is really important. Um, And work-life balance, you know, it's a tough industry. I think you need to work to live, not live to work for a cliche phrase. But last year, I think that taught people more than anyone the value of family, where they were spending the time, life re-evaluations. You know, they're going through all that at the moment. And they've gone through insecurity, um, health problems, loss. So really, you need to be thinking about how you support your team with that going forward um, to keep your people yeah i mean there's a lot of generalizations you know in terms of you know we can't get the right can't get the staff can't get the right staff you know we've got to look outside and you know all this crisis within the sector not you know which i'm just talking about our sort of skill sector let alone mm. the the sectors we try and service and support uh you know how have you found recruitment generally i mean if you just hone a little bit about getting people in through the door yeah it's it's been you know if we were to list out tough challenges yeah. in this phase of covid recruitment's been it it's it has been really really tough for everybody i don't even think we've got enough people in the uk anymore to fill all the job vacancies we've got out there so we've had to be quite creative yeah. uh, we've done a transition to teach program which we're basically putting people um from industry through their petals for free um, with a guaranteed job interview with us to try and train some new people into the sector. I don't think we've done that a lot actually over the past four or five years. Um, I don't know why. Maybe it was a fear of not being able to be allowed to make mistakes, yeah. um, which is that legislative driven thing I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, there was a very high, everything's got to be perfect yeah. all of the time, but actually mistakes are part of the learning. And I think that's left a gap in our market of new people coming in. So we've had to be quite creative, but it is paying back. We are getting people into jobs, new people into industry. And hopefully, you know, there'll be some that go into other providers off the back of that as well. So, um, yeah, I think you're just going to have to think outside the box with this one this time. 
You're listening to the FE Insights podcast with Safras Ali from the Pathway Group, looking at current trends in further education. Uh, in terms of um, some sort of sort of words of advice, if I, if I may, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in terms of leaders and managers within this sector, and then potentially independent training providers or learning providers, you know, how do we navigate? You know, this navigation where they used earlier on, particularly with where the sort of source of information for employers, but how do people, employers, independent training providers and leaders in, in our sector, mm-hmm. you know, you know, what should we be looking at? What should we be focusing on in terms of thriving and in terms of the next year, 2022? Yeah, I, I think our sector has a really bad habit of overcomplicating everything. So, so much so we get so tangled up in the complexity of it that we forget the really simple things. Um, So my advice would always be what it is you're trying to achieve in your sense of purpose. As I've said, I would definitely always start there, but it's what do people need? So if you're a learner, what does a learner need? They need a job. They need a job with a career path. They need to earn money. They need to not be in poverty. What does somebody that's unemployed need? They need to get into work and get a job. And that might mean we need to remove some barriers around learning needs or social barriers or challenges. So think about the basics of where people are at. What's the destination? You know, rather than what is the funding band or what apprenticeship is on the the iFate website, just actually think about what do people need and where's this journey going to take them and stick to them. basics. And then my my other piece of advice for people to thrive in this sector is collaboration is a gift mm. and use it and take it and don't rule it out as competition or threats or, you know, there are some really good people to work with in this sector and together you'll achieve way, way more than you will on your own. Um, and, and get, you know, we've always had a very subcontracting, for example, it's been very dictated how subcontracting should operate. And it can be a very slave master relationship sometimes mm. where it actually means the provider isn't doing what they set out to do anymore. They're doing what somebody else wants them to do. Um, and there can be different reasons for doing that. So my, my advice is don't be driven by funding bans. If you want to solve problems for businesses and learners, have a look at what they need and almost be the shield protecting them from the complexity of it. We'll go figure out the complexity of it. That's our job. Um, and come back with something that makes it equal and accessible and fair um, for people. And my final point would be think about that added value bit. Think about that environmental bit, that social bit, that you can be adding value for very, very little cost to enhance really society and communities and businesses. Okay, fantastic. That was general some general nuggets of gold there. But into on a personal sort of individual level, uh, what other advice would you say to leaders in terms of their own personal development? And really, had how, how you know, it's leadership is tough, isn't it? Some in some cases, and you know, how what would you say to leaders? My advice would be: you are the best leader when you are the version of yourself, the mm. best version of yourself. Don't be scared by vulnerability. You don't have to be tough. You just have to be real. Your mental health is just as important as anybody else's. Um, And, you know, and I'm not just banging the mental health drum, talk about (laughs) mental health, but very often leaders feel they have to cope with everything and they have to manage everything. But if you're struggling, other people are going to struggle. And one of the things I've really learned, which I will share, is Mm. um, the value of rest 
and sleep <laughs> and peace. Really? You know, I used to think, the harder I work, the more I get done, this is what a leader should do, you know, but actually I do take time now for reflection, take quiet time. It's not wasted time. It's actually we, we probably... We don't have to burn the midnight oil as the chair. You don't have to. You don't have to because yeah. the world never stops, you know. It will never stop moving. So yeah. don't feel... And this is this going back to that when I was younger, you know. I used to fill every gap I had in my diary thinking that's what I needed to do. I do actually now put time aside just to go and think, think things think, through. Think and plan. Think and plan. And then when I come back, I'm far more focused. And when I'm far more focused... Other people in the business are far more focused. So it's not wasted time. It's probably actually the most valuable time you yeah. could have. You know, being aware of all those will definitely make you a better leader. And don't be afraid to say, I mean, during COVID last year, if I was uh, having a, a difficult time or a difficult day, I would talk to my team about it. Whereas before I used to be, I can't tell a team. Yeah, that's going to make me look really weak and they're going to think they can't. But actually you realize when you go, yeah, I'm a human being as well. They go, they open up, oh yeah, do you know what? I'm so glad you've said, because I've been worrying about that. Let's work through it. And yeah. you actually start to come up with solutions. So, yeah. you know, don't don't be afraid to be yourself and don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, we are all human, whether we like it or not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that, I, that, I've, that I've picked up from you, that I've learned from you, Vicky, is that you don't have to have all the answers in, in, in everything. Sometimes it's about minimizing risk, but you don't, you can't completely eliminate risk. And, uh, and once you've made up sort of a mind, then it's a matter of just going, working it out and being adaptable and, and responsive to, to what the opportunities are. And, and, you know, like you said earlier on, control what you can control and the certain mm -hmm. things you can't control and, and just, just going out and being confident in the fact that you can deal with it. And, and not being afraid of um, failure. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I think we give ourselves a hard time if we don't succeed. Yeah. But at the end of the day, nothing's ever a waste of time. You will learn actually way way more from failure than you will from success and you should enjoy success because we're guilty of that as well we don't yeah. enjoy it we just go great done that move on what's the next challenge i need to resolve enjoy success but don't be afraid of failure because at the end of the day if you don't do something and you don't take the shots some are going to miss that is absolutely inevitable it's not a failure yeah. It's a missed shot with a lot of learnings. Yes. You're a failure if you do the same thing again and make the same mistakes. That's what I think. You know, personally, if I did it again, yeah, I can give myself a hard yeah. time then. But if you've done it and it was mistakes or things you needed to know or things you didn't know and you've took them learnings and you've applied them somewhere else, then I always talk about, I, I get mocked for it a bit, but it's <laughs> fine. I talk about gifts and opportunities, yes. you know, always look for in every single situation the gift and the opportunity, even the bad ones, even the dark ones, look for the gifts and opportunities that could come out of that because that's where you should put your energy, not your energy on who did what, who didn't do what, this isn't fair, that didn't happen. Just look at the gifts and opportunities. Um, and if you do that, you will find ways, you will find ways, 100% you will find your way to get through that challenge and you'll fix it quicker. So that's a lot of, lot of learnings there. I mean, uh, in terms of opportunities, I mean, what are the things, two or three things, uh, if you can share with with the audience, with with myself, in terms of what are the sort of projects and programs you 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 want to sort of get in get into or finalize and and so forth. I know one of them is the investors in diversity. You're working yep. towards that, but there, is it you know these sort of things that you you're focusing on? You want to say next quarter or next you know half of the year? We want to try and 
you know, box these the, these things off. We've done two things this year. Um, one is we set out on a well-being journey. Right. So we thought we were quite good at well-being. To ever get complacent, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, there's always more. Yeah. Um, but we thought we were pretty good at well-being. Other people thought we were pretty good at well-being. But then we brought in a well-being consultant. We wanted to develop a well-being strategy and learn again. There was still more that could be done. There was still more we could do. Um, so we take those things really constructively. Um, and for that few thousand pounds we invested into that, we've had a really good staff retention. So yeah. actually you do get the return. Um, the National Centre for Diversity Project, again, we think we're quite good at diversity, but where could we do more? Where could we be better? What don't we know that we're missing? Mm. So that's the whole purpose of that project, really. Um, and it always comes back to the vision. You know, we're trying to make education accessible and break down barriers and give people career paths. So we've, we've got some learning to do. You know, it's not just about identifying what we're good at because you can actually maximize more on there. If you're doing something really well, you can think about, well, what could we be doing more then? If we're doing really good at that, how do we do more and add more value? But also what things could we be doing that we're just not good at or that we're deluded at thinking we are and we're just not? So that's what those two journeys are about. We're also looking at social value measures. How do we... Um, we, you know, as a training provider, you'll have certain measures in your business, but what do we need beyond those measures about social value? So we've got a whole project running on that. That'll start um, next year. So we can start to see that the purpose of that is to make sure what activities we're doing and what level of impact they're having. If they're having a small impact, then why are we putting our energy in? We want to be putting our energy in where we can have the bigger impact. So that's what those are about. And then I suppose finally our business, our business for good strategy and it's really really simple uh we have projects in the business where we say i don't know for every dental learner that achieves their qualification something good will happen somewhere else and that's literally what it is so for every dental nursing student that passes dental care is given to people in um africa you know we have that all throughout the business to create a culture of giving give us gain if anybody wants to take anything from me give us gain um, and the whole idea of that is if we're creating a positive impact here, how do we make sure somebody else is benefiting from a positive impact somewhere else? And that all feeds into this business for good and our um, social obligation. And it's really, really straightforward to do. I think we've had nearly 300,000 impacts. You can go on the website, you can see see them all the time. But, you know, even people's gift of time will donate to something and it doesn't cost a huge amount. But it's more we can measure the impact we're having. Whereas before we were doing things, you know, charitable things, and I'm not saying don't do those because we do, we couldn't measure whether you're having a small impact or a big impact. And the whole point was to make sure we can measure our impact and know what what we're doing and what we're benefiting and how our work is creating more for others. So, um, yeah, lots going on. There's a lot going on. A lot going on, but um, all of it good stuff. Thank you so much, Victoria. really appreciate that. If someone did want you to get a hold of yourself, you're obviously easy, accessible on social media. Uh, they can just hopefully Google your name and, and, and two or three pages of content comes up with <laughs> all your videos and various things that you're doing. So you're very easily accessible and approachable. In yeah, you can yeah. find me. Just be warned that when you type my name, a supermodel also comes <laughs> up. So don't get confused um, right with the supermodel. But yes, you can absolutely find me. Fantastic. So thank you, Victoria. I really appreciate that. It's been uh, very nice to to come and see 
the the lovely offices and see your growth and have a conversation in terms of the journey that you've been on. We've sort of shared some aspects of that journey, particularly the last 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 decade, and so. Oh, it's always refreshing to have that, those conversations. Really, Victoria, really appreciate it. and thank no you for your, thank you for your time. So that was uh, uh, myself in conversation with Victoria Sylvester, the CEO of Acacia Training. This is a few podcast. We're here for the for the sector, uh, the further education sector. So if, if you're interested in being a guest and if you've got something to share with with our audience, please reach out to myself. Uh, thank you so much, and we conclude our fourth episode of a few podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the latest news and insights from the further education sector. Safras Ali will be keeping his ear to the ground and will be back soon with new developments and comment from some of the top professionals in the field. This is a 1386 audio production. 